This is my second to the last video in my sub-series on the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels. I'll be finishing up next time, and then after that, I'm going to do another sub-series on the virgin birth shortly before Christmas. All of this is under the umbrella concept of Gospel reliability and miracles in the Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000, as I've mentioned before, is the best attested miracle in the Gospels other than Jesus' resurrection itself. And this is partly because we have it in all four Gospels. The fact that we have it in all four Gospels allows us to find what are called undesigned coincidences between the different accounts of the feeding. Today I'm going to be talking about four undesigned coincidences concerning the feeding of the 5,000, two of them about the place and two of them about the time. If you don't know what an undesigned coincidence is, you can read my book Hidden in Plain View, Undesigned Coincidences in the Gospels and Acts, or you can watch a series of videos that my husband Tim did elsewhere on my channel. Those are on there. They're much shorter. Several of them are some of the same ones I'm doing in this video here. So you can see two different people talk about these same undesigned coincidences. The great thing about undesigned coincidences is that they're what we might call an epistemic twofer. In the previous two videos, I talked about independence and the way that even apparent contradictions between accounts of the same event can contribute to our knowledge that they are independent accounts, that these different people have knowledge that goes back to something that actually happened rather than copying from a common source. This is especially important since three of our accounts are in what are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now the great thing about undesigned coincidences is that they also show independence, at least when they occur in different documents, but they don't even appear to contradict. To the contrary, the information from different documents in undesigned coincidences appears to fit together and to confirm the information in the other document. So it has that advantage of an apparent discrepancy, but it doesn't need to be harmonized because it actually appears to fit together quite well. Let's see how that works when it comes to the place of the feeding. As I mentioned in one of the previous videos, only Luke mentions where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. He specifically says that when they went over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they went to a city called Bethsaida, and then that the feeding took place in a deserted area, which would have been outside the city. Obviously, there are too many people for Jesus to be doing all of this right in the city. Luke's the only gospel that mentions that, and that's especially important because Luke is a synoptic gospel and because the story is also found in Mark. You'll find some scholars will take a rather rigid version of what is known as Mark and priority, and according to this rigid version, if a story is found in Mark and in Luke and in Matthew, we're supposed to just assume that Matthew and Luke got it from Mark. Then if there's any other information that is in Matthew or in Luke that's not found in Mark, we call this how Matthew uses Mark, how Luke adapts Mark. In other words, we treat their additions as adaptations of Mark rather than as being information that they have separately that they're adding to anything that they happen to be using from Mark. And I don't think that's a good way to talk about it, to call added information an adaptation of some other document. 
Because what it looks like instead, especially when it's confirmed, is independent information from someone who was actually there. And that's what we find with this statement about the occurrence of the feeding near Bethsaida. How does that work? Let's look at John's Gospel. John's Gospel tells this same story, but in very different wording. It doesn't even have that superficial similarity that you find among the three synoptic accounts. And only John mentions a little dialogue that takes place between Jesus and Philip. When they see the crowd coming toward them, we talked about this in the last video, Jesus turns to Philip and he says, Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? We find from the synoptics that the disciples had already been worried about that and they had come to Jesus and said, send them away because it's getting late and send them so that they can go and buy food. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And we find out a little more about that in John that he says to Philip, where can we buy bread that these may eat? Now you can ask, why Philip? If it was a real occurrence, that may have an answer. Sometimes things are just coincidence. Maybe Philip was just the guy who happened to be standing next to Jesus. But if it really happened in real life, there might have been some other reason. If John made it up, on the other hand, as Tim is fond of pointing out, there's no particular reason why he should have ascribed a made-up dialogue to Jesus and Philip. He might have put it between Jesus and Peter or James or John, who are more prominent. He may have put it between Jesus and Judas. He mentions repeatedly that Judas kept the bag. Judas was the treasurer. He also mentions that Judas was a thief, so he could have had this be a, a, a stage entrance for Judas and maybe made some snarky remark about Judas, like he sometimes does. So why Philip, if it's just made up? But if it's real, there might be a reason. And in fact, we find that there is. When you go elsewhere in the Gospel of John, two different places, one of them at the beginning and one of them in chapter 12, John mentions in completely different contexts, completely unrelated to the feeding of the 5,000, that Philip was from Bethsaida, which was also the town of Peter and Andrew. He mentions that at the beginning because Jesus is calling his disciples and he's recently called Peter and Andrew. At the end, it's something to do with the fact that there were these Greek-speaking people who came to Philip, although that's an interesting one. What does that have to do with the fact that Philip was from Bethsaida? That's what we call an unexplained allusion. In any event, these are apparently casual references to the place where Philip was from, apparently not apropos of the feeding of the 5,000 at all. But that still doesn't put our puzzle completely together until we bring in the puzzle piece from the Gospel of Luke alone, which is that the feeding took place near Bethsaida. Now we have a more complete picture. Jesus is, to some extent, I believe, teasing the disciples. And he turns to Philip and says, Philip, where should we buy bread around here to give these people to eat? Because they've said, send them, send them away. And, and he says, you give them to eat. Philip, where should we buy bread that these may eat? Because Philip is local. That seems at least a very plausible explanation. And it confirms an independent piece of information found uniquely in Luke, one of the synoptic gospels. Here's another one about the place of the feeding. Now this one you can think of as occurring within Luke's gospel itself. 
You may not have known that you can sometimes have an undesigned coincidence within a given gospel, within a given document, but you can if it, the two pieces of information occur in apparently unrelated accounts, apparently unrelated stories. You could also think of this as a coincidence between Luke and Matthew because the other part of it occurs in Matthew. In fact, it occurs in both Luke and Matthew, and that is therefore known as Q material. I'm not going to talk about Q here in this video right now. And that segment is known as the Woes to the Cities. It's an apparently unrelated segment of Luke. Jesus is speaking and calling down woe upon certain cities. Woe to you, Capernaum. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty deeds that have been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in dust and ashes. So he's condemning them for not having believed on him in the right way as a result of his mighty deeds. Chorazin's mentioned nowhere else in the Gospels. We don't know what mighty deeds Jesus did in Chorazin. Capernaum, it was probably Jesus' base of operation, and uh, we find a number of apparent miracles that he is recorded to have done in Capernaum. But what about Bethsaida? What candidates are there for mighty deeds done in Bethsaida? Well, one candidate that's not quite as strong is found in Mark, and that is a healing of a blind man outside of the, the town. There doesn't appear to be a large crowd, at least not as far as Mark tells us, and Jesus orders him not to tell anybody. Now, he does tell people because people always do. When Jesus orders them not to tell anybody, they always do go and tell people. But even so, that's not a very strong candidate for a mighty deed that just was widely known in Bethsaida. A much stronger candidate is the feeding of the 5,000 itself. You'll remember from an earlier video that Jesus was there with them all day. Luke and Matthew mentioned that he was healing, though they don't go into any details about that. And then this spectacular event where he's passing out food and passing out food and passing out food and thousands are fed and so forth. Obviously, that would have been very well known throughout the whole region. In fact, Mark says that the people came from the villages and the towns and so forth and Obviously, you would expect them to be uh, talking about it in Bethsaida. It would be a big deal. So this appears to be a good candidate for what Jesus had in mind when he talked about the mighty deeds he had done in Bethsaida. But Luke doesn't seem to be putting it in there for that reason. He never connects them. It's very casual, it's very subtle, and it's very implausible to think that Luke said, Ah, I will say that the feeding of the 5,000 took place near Bethsaida, because then that, if the readers are clever enough, they'll go over here and they'll connect it with the woes to the cities. Maybe they won't. Many people have missed that connection. I certainly had never thought of it until I started studying undesigned coincidences, even though I had been studying the Bible itself all my life. And it's especially unlikely if Luke was making it up, because then he might have all of his trouble for his pain, uh, his pains for nothing. If nobody happened to notice it, oh wow, look at that clever guy, Luke. Okay, that all fits together. Moreover, if Luke was prone to make such things up and to just kind of put miracles in places where he didn't have any reason to think they occurred as an adaptation, um, why didn't he do that for Chorazin? 
He could have put one of the miracles he records in Chorazin, but he doesn't do so. So this just appears to be a case where Luke knew. Someone told him that this is where it took place. We also have two coincidences concerning the time of the feeding of the 5,000. In Mark, as we've already uh, noticed in our earlier discussion of the crowd and how the crowd followed Jesus, it mentions that there were many coming and going at first, so that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have leisure to eat. You might think of this as related to Jesus' popularity, and it certainly is in part related to his popularity because they actually follow him then to the other side of the lake when he tries to go away alone with his disciples. But is it just his popularity? The phrase in Mark is, many were coming and going. It sounds like a sort of a bustle, which could relate to some wider incident, some wider contextual event. Is there such a wider contextual event? Well, as a matter of fact, there is. When you go to John, John talks about them up on the mountainside. They see the people coming. And then with that wonderful way that John just has of mentioning something sort of apropos of nothing, it's so much the 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 oral history way of talking. He just remembers something. He says the, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was nigh at hand. Now, he doesn't mention the many coming and going. And Mark doesn't mention that there were um, that they were near the time of the Passover. Josephus, the Jew Jewish historian, talks about three million pilgrims coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And the reason they would do this is because that's, when, uh, that's where the Passover sacrifices were made, was at Jerusalem. Capernaum was a fair-sized city for the place and for the time, and there was probably a Roman road running through it. So there really would have been many crowds of people right then passing through going south on their way to jerusalem to celebrate the passover put that together with jesus popularity and all the talk there would have been about this miracle worker who's there and people wanting to see him and you can well imagine that there would have been many coming and going well suppose you don't like that one suppose you say nah i just think mark just means they were coming and going because they wanted to see jesus in it it's what the phenomenon that was noticed, even if it occurred, didn't have anything to do with the Passover. Well, here's another one, also relating to a unique detail given in Mark. In Mark, it mentions that Jesus said that the people should sit down. We're going to talk about that more in the next video. Jesus tells the disciples to have the people sit down. And Mark says, they sat down on the green grass. Only Mark mentions the color. John says there was much grass, but for all John mentions, it could have been getting brown or it could have already been brown. But only Mark says it was chloros related to chlorophyll and so forth, green grass. And that's it. It's just mentioned in passing. Of course, if Peter was Mark's source, he would have been there and that green grass might have struck his eyes. The grass is not green there in that region of the Galilee even as much as it is here in my town in Michigan. The grass here in Michigan, where I am, it's been green right up here to, to late November, and then it'll get, it'll get green again in the spring. It'll green up, and we have, so we have this, you know, three-month period when it's not, but most of the time, it's green. Sometimes even you have to wait for the snow to melt, and then there's green grass underneath there. That's because we have a lot of water here. But in that region, it's not green nearly as much. 
Peter J. Williams talks about this a bit in his book, Can We Trust the Gospels? I'm not saying it's only green for two weeks or something, but it's a period of months, but it's not for a large number of months. But right then, at what John says was the time of the Passover, it's after those rains, it's in the spring, and it will be green. And so that struck the eye of Peter. And then John, with his wonderful ability to remember details, as I say, sometimes seemingly apropos of nothing, remembers what time of year it was, and those two fit together. In a video about a year ago or more, an interview online, Dr. Michael Lacona was talking about this detail of the green grass, and he suggested, out of the blue, that the evangelist may have just put that in there as part of a kind of a rhetorical embellishment as taught by a, uh, a rhetoric uh, author who was teaching, uh, actually, lawyers how to move their audiences um, and to, to put in uh, a, a fancy word picture. Actually, this doesn't look like a very fancy word picture, but there's just that one that wonderful realistic detail. There's a difference between a uh, sort of over-the-top, imagine if you will, dear friends, uh, rhetorical speech and the kind of sober realism that we find in the Gospels. But he suggested that it might have just been put in there to make the audience feel like they were there. Now that's what you get with some of these literary device theories. Uh, I call these utterly unforced errors that for no reason you just suggest, hey, you know, maybe the author just put that in there because, hey, it's just a detail. But in this case, we actually find that detail confirmed by John. Another scholar has suggested that Mark may have put it in there, the green grass, to allude to um, Psalm 23, he makes me to lie down in green pastures because when Jesus sees the crowd, when he's getting out of the boat, he has compassion on them because they are as sheep without a shepherd. See, shepherd, pastures, makes me lie down in green pastures. We talked about this uh, in another part of my video series. We talked about unnecessary theological theories. These are overly complex theories because the far more reasonable supposition is that the grass just was green and that Peter happened to remember that it was green, and that's why it's confirmed in John. Because none of these theories of invention can explain why we find this indirect confirmation in John. These undesigned coincidences contribute to something that I have mentioned already in this series on the feeding of the 5,000. Of course, we have other evidence for the reliability of the Gospels, and we're going to bring that in ourselves when we when we evaluate whether this happened. Sometimes, for some miracles, we have to bring in that other evidence even more. Because, for example, maybe we only have a brief account, or maybe we only have one account, or maybe we don't have a lot of information or a lot of details or a lot of follow-up. In this case, though, the wonderful fitting together and the multiplicity of these apparently independent accounts in the Gospels, accounts of the feeding, is actually part of the case for the reliability of the Gospels. The accounts of the feeding contribute in themselves to that case for the reliability of the Gospels. And that's a really wonderful thing. 
In the next video, I'm going to be finishing this up by talking about a couple of more undesigned coincidences and then evaluating the miraculous nature of the event. Be sure to like this video, be sure to share this video, and be sure to hit subscribe on this video channel. Thanks for watching.